God's amazing grace. Grace that teaches, teaches us what not to do and also teaches us what to do. We'll focus on both sides of that coin next on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Greetings and welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Today we're in Titus chapter 2, taking a look at a message called Appeal of Grace. It's grace that teaches us to turn away from things, and it's grace that also then teaches us to reproduce things. What those are are the subject of our time together today. We would invite you to join us. Again, Titus chapter 2, verse 12 specifically. Here now from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, once again, our teacher and pastor with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth, here's Pastor Steve Converse. Titus chapter 2, the date is July 24th, 1725. A baby is born to a commander of a merchant ship and his godly wife. Seven years later, the young lad would mourn the death of his mother at age 11. He went to sea with his father and made six voyages with him before his father would retire. In 1744, at the age of 18, the young man was pressed into service on a man of war, the HMS Harwick. Finding the conditions on board this ship intolerable, He deserted, but was soon recaptured and publicly flogged and demoted from midshipmen to common seamen. Through a chain of events in his life, he became the servant of a slave trader and was brutally abused. Early in 1748, he was rescued by a sea captain who had known his father. The rough seaman would ultimately become captain of his own ship one which dealt in the slave trade. Although he had some early religious instruction from his mother, he had long since given up any religious convictions whatsoever. However, on a homeward voyage, while he was attempting to steer his ship through a violent storm, he experienced what he was later calling his great deliverance. He would record in his journal that when all seemed lost and the ship was surely going to sink, he cried out from his heart and he said, Lord, have mercy on us. For the rest of his life, he observed the anniversary of May 10th, 1748, as the day of his glorious conversion, a day of humiliation in which he subjected his will to a higher power. In 1750, he married Mary Mary Catlett, with whom he had been in love for many years. By 1755, after a serious illness, he had given up seafaring life altogether. He came to know George Whitfield, the evangelistic preacher, the leader of the Calvinistic Methodist Church, and Newton became one of Whitfield's enthusiastic disciples. And during this period, he also met and came to admire John Wesley, founder of 
Methodism. In 1764, he became a pastor of the Anglican Church. Ultimately, he would be best known for his hymn writing and his work as a a free slave idealist with William Wilberforce. The former slave-trading agnostic seaman would, during his years as a pastor, put on paper a hymn that summarized his life and has best become known in the church and even the world as the most loved hymn of all, Amazing Grace, John Newton. You stop and you ask, what is so amazing about this grace that can transform lives? The grace of God is the unmerited love of God bestowed on rebellious sinners. We've been looking at this chapter here, chapter 2, verses 11 to 15 for three weeks now, and we've kind of mined out some foundation, and today we're going to finish this off. But I just want to read it so it's fresh in our minds for us this morning. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. This is Paul's letter to Titus. And he wants to encourage Titus. Now, we've been looking at a couple different things, and we've come to understand that God's saving work, because we serve a saving God. Our God is not a God who is just all about judgment and all about anger and all about wrath. And we've looked over the past two weeks how God truly is a saving God. And that saving opportunity in his divine providence is made available to all. We spoke about that. His saving work really puts him on display. When he saves somebody, his power, his justice, his mercy, his grace is on display as we live our lives as saved individuals in this lost and dying world. And it's the heart of God to save sinners. God desires to save. He desires to transform sinners so that they may do good works. And those good works may demonstrate to other sinners who are not saved the evidence of his saving power that they might be drawn to him for the same salvation. That's the message of the Christian church. That's the message of the gospel. Nothing displays God's glory like an anointing, amazing, miraculous work of redemption in someone's life. Especially when that someone is an unworthy sinner who deserves the wrath of God. If people, beloved, can't see that we're saved and that we've been saved from sin, if they can't see that, then God is not properly glorified. God has saved us from the penalty of sin in the future with the sacrifice of Christ. He saves us from the power of sin as we live our day every day, as we live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And he will save us from the presence of sin when he comes back and takes us out of this sin-filled world in which we live. 
We looked at God's grace and we defined it as such that it's his unmerited favor. God's grace means that God showered his favor and his blessing on those who did not in any way deserve it. Matter of fact, they deserve just the opposite. They deserve God's wrath and his judgment. But he showed them favor. And we talked about God's grace being his unmerited favor. And we talked about God's mercy being God withholding his justice. Last week, we looked at the presence of grace when it appeared, it says in 2.11, that this grace is a sovereign grace. It has to be a sovereign grace because it, it emanates from God himself. It's the grace of God. It's not just some common grace. No, it's the grace of God. It pours out from the heart of the eternal author of the whole entire universe. Long before time began, long before God swooped down, grace reigned in the heart of God. When the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit decided to create the universe, they knew that if they did the act of creation, they knew that there would have to be following an act of redemption. Grace would require it. And that's the second kind of grace, not only sovereign grace, but we looked at saving grace. The sovereign grace of God, it says, that brings salvation. See, our sin amounts to rebellion before a holy God, an all-powerful God. His omnipresence places him on the scene of our sinfulness. When we sin, we don't sin in a bubble, isolated from everyone else. That's a lie of the enemy. Our sin affects others. Chiefly, it affects us, it affects God, but it also affects others. In God's omniscience, mind, his all-knowing ability makes him aware of everything, whether it's just a thought, whether it's a word, whether it's a deed. He's aware of it. He knows it. The plan of salvation is proclaimed throughout the Bible, and it's based not on the merit system as we talked about, but it's based on the substitution system. God knew that there would be no way we could ever pay for our own sins. He knew that. You couldn't do enough good to pay for your own sins. And so he needed to send someone who could substitute, be our substitute, that being Christ. And that allows his grace to be a saving grace. At Calvary, when the Son of God died in our place, he laid down an eternal life as an atonement for our sins. God is a saving God. And then we looked at, thirdly, God's sufficient grace. It says that it has appeared, and it's sufficient because it says it has appeared to all men. And we talked about the fact that, you know what? Our, our job when we leave this building is not to go out and try to figure out who's chosen and who's not. From our perspective, from a human perspective, we have to be able to go out and when we run into an unbeliever and we share the gospel with them and we tell them, you know what, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. That's not a lie. That's the truth. Obviously, from God's perspective, all those who will be saved are those who are chosen before the foundation of the world. But that's none of our concern. Our concern is to share the gospel with those who are lost, those who are dying. And we have to be able to do it with a passion, with a, with a, a willingness to, to make sure that they understand that, that this is a real, true offer from God. Because our God is a saving God. Today I want to look at the appeal of grace. And first of all, in your outline there, you see what it teaches us to repudiate. 
what it teaches us to turn away from. It says there in verse 12, Titus 2.12, training us to renounce, what's the first thing? Ungodliness. To turn away from ungodliness. See, once our hearts have been captured by God's incredible, marvelous, amazing grace, that grace acts as a teacher in our lives. It acts as a schoolmaster in our lives. And it teaches us to turn away from, to repudiate ungodliness. Paul speaks here of denying ungodliness, renouncing ungodliness. That word there, which occurs 31 times in the New Testament, means to disown. Literally, you disown it. In other words, the believer is taught to take a stand against this native, inborn ungodliness in our own hearts. The Bible describes our hearts not as good, but as wicked. By denying ungodliness the right to express itself. And the only way we can do that is yield to the indwelling Spirit of God in our lives. When the Bible says that we need to be filled with the Spirit, that's not a once-covers-all option. When we come to Christ, we are baptized into Christ by the Spirit of God. That's a one-time deal. You're only baptized by the Spirit once. And that's when you are saved and when God brings you into the body of Christ. He gives you the Spirit of God then as a deposit, it says, and we are to yield control to that Spirit each and every moment. And as we yield control, we're filled with the Spirit. That's what that word means. If you're filled with alcohol, you're controlled by the alcohol. And the Bible says that's not a good thing, or anything else for that matter, but we should be controlled by the Spirit of God. And when we're controlled by the Spirit of God, we're able to disown all ungodliness. In Jude 15, it says, before we were saved, we express our ungodliness, but once we are saved, we express godliness. There should be a change. There should be something different. If there's no change in your life when you come to Christ, I always used to tell young people this when I was a youth pastor because they'd go to camp and they'd raise their hand and they'd go and they'd throw a piece of wood in the fire and, oh yeah, I'm gloriously saved or whatever. And then they'd go back and two weeks later, they're back doing the same old stuff that dishonors Christ and they didn't want to have anything to do with church. And I'd always tell them, look, no change, no Jesus. No Jesus, no change. It's that simple. If you're sitting here this morning and you're holding on to some profession of faith that you made 40 years ago and you haven't seen God do anything in your life since then, you might want to think about getting on your knees repenting and turning to Christ and being saved. Because religiosity does not save anybody. Coming to church has never saved anybody. Praying does not save anybody. Reading the Bible does not save anybody. Memorizing the Bible does not save anybody. Witnessing to people does not save anybody. Feeding the homeless does not save anybody. The only way we're saved, the Bible says clearly, that we're saved, what? By God's grace, through faith. It's not of what? Works. Lest any man should boast. Now, depending on where you're at this morning, if you're sitting here feeling pretty self-righteous, you probably don't want to hear that. But maybe you're sitting here this morning thinking, man, I don't know if there's any hope for me. Yeah, there is. Because you can't do anything to save yourself. It's only by the grace of God that we're saved. 
We read that story of John Newton. He experienced that kind of conversion. He lived this godless life on the high seas. And he sank to such a low point in his life that he became a slave of a slave, if you can imagine. Even running away from God, he was pursued by the prayers of his loved ones. And you know what? God caught up with him. He always catches up with you, beloved. And he saved him. On that heaving deck in the middle of a crazy storm, he was instantly, eternally transformed. And he became a blessed and beloved minister of the gospel. And he never forgot, never, how much he owed to the grace of God. Sometimes we forget what that hymn says. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch, a low person on the rung like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Another verse says, "'Twas grace that taught." There we have grace as the teacher. Grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears what? Relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. See, when you stop and you begin to realize that when someone is saved, it's always a glorious event. It's always someone being snatched out of the fire, pulled out of the the muck and the mire of sin and set on the solid rock of Christ. Only He can do that work. And only He can teach us through His grace to deny or repudiate ungodliness. Well, secondly, he says not only ungodliness, but how about unholiness? Saving grace also calls us, teaches us to turn away from all that's unholy. Paul spoke of denying worldly lusts, worldly passions. See, when God's grace catches up with us, it does not at once translate us from here to glory. Right? I mean, we're saved, but we're still here. We still have this body of flesh. We still live in a sin-stained world. It leaves us in this world of sin so that we might grow in grace and that we might increase in the knowledge of God. Joe read out of Colossians this morning over in Colossians Chapter 1, look at what it says in verse 10. Verse 9, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled or controlled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Look at verse 10. So as to what? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's what God calls us to do. He leaves us here in this sin-stained world so that we might grow in grace. I mean, every area of the believer's life is wrapped in the unfailing favor of God. It really is. His grace enables the believer to cope with afflictions. 
that may seem just too overwhelming. Look over at 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And look at what Paul writes here. 2 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited, Paul writes, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. We don't know what this was. But if you've ever been stuck with a thorn, if you've ever had a splinter, you know how kind of, you know, it's, it's not like you're, you're reeling in pain, but it's just something that's always there. And until you get that thing out of your finger or out of your toe or wherever the splinter is, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a, a constant problem. My granddaughter, Sophia, one time they were out playing in the woods or they were going on a walk or doing something. And I remember she went up to some kind of tree. I don't know what the tree was, but she went to climb it. And she wrapped her arms around it and started climbing it. And literally, she had thousands of splinters from the bark of this tree. I mean, they actually had to go to the hospital. Her arms everywhere. It was just crazy. Well, here he's talking about this thorn in the flesh. And it says, it was given to me a messenger of Satan to harass me. To keep me from what? Becoming conceited. Look at what Paul writes. This is the Apostle Paul, by the way. He prayed, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this deal. Three times that it should leave me. We don't really know what it is. It doesn't say. But whatever it was, it was bugging him. And he asked three times for the Lord to take it away. Look at verse 9. But he said to me, my what? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made what? Perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. See, grace enables the believer, it enabled the Apostle Paul to cope with afflictions that otherwise would have just seemed overbearing. You wouldn't have been able to deal with it. But God doesn't take this thing away. And the reason he doesn't is because it has a purpose in your life. Sometimes we don't think of afflictions. We don't think of sicknesses. We don't think of, of hardships that we go through as coming from the hand of God. We always think, oh, that's Satan. That's the enemy. Not always, beloved. Not always. Sometimes God in his sovereign hand and providence, he reaches down and he puts something straight in your path that's going to be hard for you to deal with. And it may not just be a day. It may not be a week. It may not be a month. It may not be a year. It may be a lifetime. Because he knows you better than you know yourself. And he knows what it's going to take for you to stay on the right path in your life. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. 
If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. And then, as I mentioned at the beginning of our time together today, summertime means Vacation Bible School. And here at Grace Bible Church, our Vacation Bible School is scheduled for June 16th through the 20th, 6 p.m. to 8.45 in the evening, from preschool through grade 5. It's Weird Animals, where Jesus' love is one of a kind. Take a walk on the wild side. We have untamed games, lip-smacking snacks, surprise adventures, amazing experiments, new friends, and incredible music. It's all here at Grace Bible Church, 2225 Euclid Avenue in Redwood City. Again, June 16th through the 20th. For information, call 650-366-366. 9923, or you can register online at gracebibleonline.org. Registration is free, and $5 is requested for the VBS t-shirt, which is optional. Again, gracebibleonline.org is the place to go, or call 650-366-9923. It's Vacation Bible School at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, June 16th through the 20th. We hope to see you there. And trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.